Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Welcome everyone, where we are podcasting from the 25th anniversary of the Hamptons International Film Festival and our fourth time podcasting from here. Can you believe it? I know, and I just got off a red carpet where <laughs> I saw Jennifer Garner. Well, she saw you too, right? Well, I think I was more excited to see her. She looked fabulous. Good. She's here for her yeah. new film, The Tribes of Paulus Verdes. She is here for that. Elisa Silverstone's in it as well. And are you going to put up some of your video? I know you shot video while you were there. Are you going to take care of that? I figure when in Rome. Okay, there you go. The opening film, the feature opening film, was the Itzhak Perlman documentary that just came out. And I went, although you did not. You weren't you able to attend. Am I already getting a demerit? Well, no, you don't have to get a demerit. I was shocked that they had a documentary as the opening film. It's only been done four times in the last 25 years. Where it's not a you know a narrative nonfiction. And I mean, they show really good documentaries here. They do. They a lot do. Of Oscar and I, I think it's by far and away one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. Wow. Okay, but it wouldn't have mattered who did it. It, it the direction was great. The editing was great. The cinematography is great. All those things are perfect, and they mattered. But it's the subject. This is the most entertaining man aside. From his violin playing. Really? Unbelievably clever and funny and nuanced and earnest and vulnerable. And his wife is in it too, and they've been married forever and ever and ever. And you were just, you people smiled from the beginning to the end, and then he came out afterward and he actually played. He on Shelter Island, which is, you know, just in the Hamptons, you can go to Shelter Island. It's actually part of the Hamptons. And he has a camp there for young um, musicians. And they came over and they played as a surprise performance after the film. Is that the same Shelter Island as the movie with Ali Sheedy? Well, no, it's not, because that was a creepy place that people (laughs) didn't want to go to. Shelter Island is part of the Hamptons. Okay. Yeah. You must go see it in your, in your, wherever it's playing. I think it's going to get wide distribution, and surely it will be up for the Academy Awards for, um, for this year as best documentary it's just exceptional and how lucky were we that we are getting to see these films and speaking of oscar nominees and opening night of the hamptons film festival you suggested that we go to a swiss film okay i just just a little aside here people okay i never ever suggest we go to foreign films 1971 ist die Welt in Bewegung gsi. Aber da bei uns ist es gsi, als würde sie stillstehen. I'm so glad you yeah. suggested this film, Oscar. Yeah. It's going to be Switzerland's submission to the Oscars for best foreign language film. And I have spent so much time in Switzerland. I've seen very few Swiss films. There's just not that many out there compared to France or Germany or Italy. It's called The Divine Order, written and directed by Petra Volpe. The storyline is is not even um, as important as the acting and and the way it was written, but the storyline is that the women in Switzerland didn't get the right to vote until 1971. And there was always one canton in Switzerland that held out until the 1990s. Uh, Well, it is the story unfolding of a small town and a woman who sort of finds her uh, emotional independence, if you will, and her feminism and her sense of self during this time period. And one of the things that I couldn't help but note is that once again, 
you have to look at the fact that in England and in America, we always have very, very strong women stars playing these roles. Mm-hmm. And so the minute they hit the screen, you're mesmerized by their beauty or whatever it is that the, that the camera loves about them. Whereas the films that come from Europe, somehow these actors are not stars. And At least so, not to us. Well, they're, but they're not, I don't think they have the same stardom quality of, oh my God, that's the most stunning person I've ever seen walk the red carpet. And so as this woman unfolds, she becomes more and more beautiful. And it's not that they made her more and more beautiful. The character became more and more beautiful as she found the inner parts of herself that had been shut down. I'm not sure a major Hollywood star could have done that. It was beautifully executed on the screen. The acting was excellent. It was. And when she first got that haircut, I thought she was beginning to morph into Steffi Graf. <laughs> she, was, she was becoming more and more empowered. And as a little note of trivia for those who do follow German language films, the actor who played her husband is the son of the star of Tony Erdmann, which mm. was the talk of the town last year. Um, But Hollister, this has always just amazed me. For a brief time, I worked for a Swiss law firm. It's the oldest law firm in Zurich. There was a woman at the firm there who was a partner at the firm before she had the right to vote. It's just, uh, it's it's a stunning moment that was totally lost to me in the 70s. I had no idea that those women couldn't vote. But um, well, we're going to follow it. We're going to reach out to the producers of this film to find out when it's going to get the kind of distribution. And we're going to make a point to bring it up again in whatever podcast you know we're running concurrently with its opening. But it's an important film to see. It's just so beautifully done. Don't you agree? I do. And it's fun. So for me, this was the feel-good movie that I was hoping Suffragette would be. Uh, well, put Suffragette to shame. I, you know, there's no other way to say it. It does, yeah. It, uh, it just unfolds in this natural way that is wonderful. A slow way, so, but it exactly. builds. So, Liberation Swiss style, the divine order. Since we last heard from you, uh, the film producer Harvey Weinstein has become the subject of some very serious sexual harassment allegations. I think we would be remiss if we didn't start a podcast about the um, Weinstein situation. And we really try at Screen Thoughts to be positive and to actually keep politics of any kind out of our podcasts, but still to support, you know, a feminist point of view in terms of making sure that we have more equity around it. And I just want to start by saying that we could go over, everybody's reading all the gossip, everybody's talking about it, we don't need to go there. But what I would like to start by saying, and O'Toole said, she said I could say whatever I wanted, (laughs) because we really have made an agreement not to, wouldn't you agree, we, we just stay away from these topics. But I want to say, let's look at this as an opportunity to write what's been wrong. Like maybe the, maybe the whole point of this happening is that we take this moment in time to say, okay, the pinnacle, one of the top people in this industry has fallen. And we, can't, we cannot pretend it's not happening. It is. But at the same time, and a lot of people are going to fall around him already, there's a lot of fallout based on people who knew about it, didn't say anything, people who stopped the times possibly. from. And there's a lot of stuff going on around it. But maybe this is the beginning of a different era where it won't be based on gender one way or another or power of one gender over another. I just want to leave it there. We don't need to rehash any of this because everybody gets to read it everywhere else. But let's talk about this as the beginning of the yellow brick road forward for women. You know, it could happen. Billie Jean King, already a champion of women's rights, is now the most successful female player of all time. Right now, 
We've got Diane Barrett here from the Riverrun Film Festival. Greetings. We have to go back to Battle of the Sexes because here we do. We invite Diane, return the favor. You had us at Riverrun. Please come up and be our guest at the Hamptons International Film Festival. So she comes up and the first thing she says, a number of my friends are very upset. <laughs> like, what's the matter now? You know, Hollister making friends wherever she goes in the world. And they said, you know, how dare you criticize Emma Stone's performance in um, Battle of the Sexes? You know, who would you have play it? And I spent a good, ch you know, it was a great question. I really thought it was, Diane. I want the list of three. Okay. The list of three, I'm surprised you didn't ask me for six. Uh -huh. uh, here's this really sad part. You ready? I actually did a Google search. I, I, I did a Google search for women actresses 30 years old who are large. What a cop out. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I did all kinds of athletic, athletically built women actors. I, you can't imagine some of the answers that came up and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. That is not athletically built. That's bone thin. <laughs> And the sad part is, I don't think there's a you know a, a well-known actor who could have played that role because they're not allowed to have bodies like that and act. Well, I think anyone who could be Billie Jean King is probably too busy playing on the test on the test to be on the big screen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you know, Hollister, you've mentioned this before. This is why casting directors they really deserve their own Oscar. Yeah. Because you know, here at the festival, Margot Robbie, the fabulous Australian actress, she's here with two movies. One of which is I Tanya where she plays Tanya Harding, she had to do a lot of ice skating for that role. And what they require of actors hmm. is pretty steep. Well, that just goes back to um, Love Story. Mm. He could not skate to save his life, and they could only shoot him from a body. You dress. mean Ollie Barrett? Yes. <laughs> Actually, you Barrett. and I saw that movie together, yes, you know, Love did. Story. Yeah. Ollie Barrett, wow. the, the skater at the Ivy League school. Mm -hmm. Yes, Ryan O'Neill, he used to just, mm -hmm. they, they would pick him up and shove him to the next cameraman, and he would fall on the ice, and they'd pick him mm -hmm. up and try to look fierce, and he couldn't skate at but all. But back then, you could get away with that. Right now, it's this sort of honor code of if you're going to do it, you know, like Russell Crowe can't move his body from all the times he's been damaged by trying to make sure he does his own stunts. And let's talk about Tom Cruise, who does his own stunts, and frankly, the insurance companies go crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he got hurt on one recently. I yeah, it's amazing what the stunt artist can do. So I don't have an answer to your question, mm -hmm. Ms. Barrett. Sorry. Sue me. And I'm sorry to your friend. Emma Stone, you did not rock. You did rock because you were <laughs> the only choice. <laughs> I know. And I'm, I was sad I couldn't come up with a better one for you. I was. Now, speaking of friends... I just read a little interesting tidbit about Billie Jean King. Okay, when she was still married to Larry, so her Larry King, not right. late night Larry King, when they lived in San Mateo, California, they became close personal friends with Charles Schultz. As in Charlie Brown? Yes. You know, you're a good man, Charlie Brown, the creator of the Peanuts and his wife, Jean. Hmm. Remember talking about casting directors? Hmm. Three or four years ago at the River Run Film Festival, there was a, a documentary on casting directors. Did you ever see that documentary? Yeah, it's on, it's on Netflix. We reviewed it. It's it, a great one. It was yeah. excellent. And yeah, casting directors do not get the credit Well, the they fact deserve. that there's no Oscar for them. And by the way, a lot of people have reached out and written letters to the Academy and everything else. And, um, you know, to say nothing. That enough. is of the utmost importance in a film. Yeah. I, I so agree. A lot of directors say casting is 90% of the movie. Yeah. There's one other movie. O'Toole's going to talk this week and do her list of six around 
Julie Andrews, and who she saw at the film festival, that when she was doing that, Diane and I went to the National Geographic movie, Earth. An amazing day. Earth, our home. The lucky planet. The magical dance of Earth and Sun. The vital ingredient for life itself. Okay, can I just say there's a scene in it I can't sleep. You know, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before that I have a terrible, violent fear of snakes. In fact, so much so that when I was little, I couldn't put my hand over the side of the bed because for sure there were snakes on the ground waiting to bite at me. And sure enough, in this movie, I've never seen anything like it. Have you? The snake scene? It was very disturbing. No, I have not. They're in the Galapagos Islands, and this iguana... Baby. Baby. It had to be a baby. ...is being chased by a posse of snakes that are... It is... It's more chilling than alien when the snake comes out of that person's chest. I looked away. I kept saying to Diane, I can't watch. I can't watch. It was on the screen for a long time, like four minutes. Did it make you want to sing Circle of Life from The Lion King? It did not make me want to sing oh, okay, anything. But you watched the whole thing. I, I did. I, I don't have a fear of snakes. Okay, it was well. an amazing, an amazing shot. Photography. No, I would agree. I mean, it was awesome. stunning. I just couldn't watch it. I could it. not stop yeah. watching. And there was one other part that I want to talk about, and that is, did you know that giraffes, that they take their neck? <laughs> you know, she's making this face. They take their necks, and they're almost like rubber... They, they fight with their neck, so they bring their neck down and they slam it into the giraffe. They knock each other over with their necks in a way, the neck becomes like a boomerang. How do you describe it? How it's, would you describe it? It's that? like taking a bag with a bowling ball on the end exactly. and, no, and a right. string on the other end and just slamming it. Yes, but they're something. doing it with their neck and their heads. And it was, it, I thought I'd never, and I, and I was just blown away by this, this filming. And then I thought, I wonder how long they had to sit there with the two giraffes to do it. Now, the giraffe who loses the fight is then has to go off by himself into the desert alone. I really hope that that camera person had a very long lens. Right. Yeah. And in today's political environment, the only other thing that I thought, and I don't know why my mind goes here, and I'm not, I certainly don't know why I share it here, but anyway... I thought to myself, well, we're not the only species that kills each other here. <laughs> no. In Jane, the, the chimpanzees went to war. Oh, really? Who and she that? always oh. thought that humans were the only ones who went to war with each other, and she was so surprised. Huh, okay. That to find you know out we're not alone on the planet. We, as are, I not, we are not the only ones that go to war with exactly. each other. At one point, Diane they, said to me, oh, my gosh, they must have had a ton of photographers. And sure enough, they had a laundry list. Pages and pages. Oh, Internationally. Wow. Yeah. Renowned. Renowned but photographers. Our Earth is a beautiful, beautiful thing to behold. It, it made me very proud. Yeah, it, it did. It's beautiful. And it was filmed over the course of one day. Yeah, yes. it takes place one day on Earth. So you start at sunrise, and you go all the way through the night. And you also, they talk about the predators coming out at different times, too. And it's just it's a, it's, take your family, it's great, except for the snake scene, go out to the bathroom. And, and we do have to mention that Robert Redford is the narrator. Although he put me to sleep. <laughs> he was not, I don't think he's a great narrator. <laughs> I love his voice though. I know, I but you know what, he didn't love it here. He's starting to slur his words yeah. a little oh, bit. No. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, no. no. Uh, yeah, maybe he was trying Don't to drink his way through doing it or something. <laughs> maybe yeah. he saw the snake scene first. I know. Whatever it was, he was not the right voice. He put me to sleep rather than waking me up. You know? Morgan Freeman must have been busy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he always does it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That, he would, that would have been a great, yeah. a great get. Okay, so now you two saw a movie called Fry Day. As F in F-R-Y Day. Yes, we did. Okay, and we're going to play here what you two had to say about the film. Hey, Screen Thought listeners, I am sitting here with Diane, who, as you all may recall, brought us down to the River Run Film Festival, and O'Toole is doing, off doing something really smart. <laughs> Diane and I just did a little private screening of Friday, which is, is a, um, a short film done by Laura Moss, who has just recently graduated from NYU's Graduate Film School, and this is actually, I think, her her third short film and it's a 15 minute film and he, it's basically the premise of it is that this young woman is watching um Ted Bundy yes there's Diane yes. filling in for hotel for me you all know Ted Bundy <laughs> yeah so Ted Bundy is going to be fried and there's all these women sort of experiencing the moment with joy and uh they're and having a tailgate they are to, it's really unbelievable to witness yeah. the frying of ted bundy and this young woman who's 16 years old makes some decisions and the movie is done um based on laura moss who wrote it and directed it as i mentioned earlier from nyu's graduate film school and she saw some footage of this tailgating thing that took place and decided to do a short um, movie and what she said is I love horror although as a woman I realize horror does not always love me back as a teenager I watched movies depicting women as gristle for the slasher's blade love that phrase facing my own mortality from the safety of my living room the monsters I encounter as an adult are more subtle they come in forms that are harder to recognize that's what she wrote about the film and what's interesting about it is I, we were asked to take a look at it because of my love of Hannibal Lecter <laughs> And the combin, you know, the connection between Hannibal and, and Mr. Bundy, but it's a film in my mind, not actually about that, but much more about decisions we make. Like, didn't you think, Diane, the decisions that she made, every decision we make in life determines a trajectory of where we're going to end up. And here's this girl who made four decisions in a row, which I'm not going to talk about, because we don't want to ruin this. If you have an opportunity to see this this short, you must. She made decisions. Don't you think it was about her decision-making? I think it's about her decision-making and her first experience in With making decisions that could cause something very evil life to happen altering. to her. Absolutely, yep. And a couple times in the film, it does not go... The film does not go where you think it is going to go, but your mind definitely goes there. And I think that is one of the nice, uh, not nice, but the intelligent yeah. parts of this film. Well, not only that, but you know how everybody says, go with your gut, and you can sometimes you're given that warning, danger, danger, with a guy or whatever, but sometimes you're not giving that warning. And everything that people said about both Bundy and Dahmers and all of these people is they were very likable, and no one would have suspected that they were who they were. And here's this girl who you could see her making decisions, does she go with this guy? Does she not go with this guy? But the trajectory of the backdrop of where Laura Moss put this, she put this, this storyline of this girl making some decisions that could end up really drastically awful, she put it with a backdrop of the impending 
um, electrocution of, of the serial killer. Unbelievably brilliant to put it in that drop. I mean, with, in another backdrop, it would not be the film that it is. Don't you agree? Yes, and as you said, Ted Bundy was able to do what he did because he created a trust in the women he knew. He was good-looking. Yeah. Um, he was nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. And through the film, the girl... Ha- accidentally has a mask of Ted Bundy on her I back. I, yeah, it was really. She's it was, turned it around, and um, the young men that she encounters are good-looking. They're clever. They're nice. So they also are. She's also a victim of that, so to speak, mask. Yeah. No. Uh, uh, ma- the mask part. I hadn't thought of. That's a brilliant, brilliant add-on to it. But the other thing is intention. You know, we weigh people's intentions when we make decisions during a day. And he, he expressed intentions that were totally reasonable and totally believable. The other thing is, she wove this tale in 15 minutes. Mm. To tell this complex a story in 15 minutes, I have to give it to you, Laura Moss. I can't wait until you do a narrative. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree. This is a coming-of-age, long story in a very short period of time. Okay, and we would be remiss. We cannot speak about this film without talking about Jordan uh, Di Natale. You couldn't take your eyes off her. No. What a face, right? What a face. And and her acting was so accomplished, and it's not... She hasn't acted for very long. She hasn't. Not only has she not acted very long, but she hasn't done any feature films. She's done all shorts. And I didn't. I hadn't heard of some of the shorts, but Friday, uh, which we're reviewing, Truth Slash Fiction, Jamie Marks is Dead. Those are, <laughs> you know, I, I, we will see her again and again. She's going to emerge. She actually has a Jennifer Lawrence tendency. That face that could be, could be kind, could be evil. Could, I mean, there's a million ranges for that face, and you can The the camera loves it and will not let you look away when she's on on screen. Really amazing. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Congratulations, Laura Moss. Uh, There's a reason you've won a couple of uh, festivals already, and I hope that this does make it to the Academy Awards, and I know you've qualified for the first round, so best of luck to you. And Diane, thanks for being here. Mm, Thank you for having me. All right, now we're going to move on to to our film, but I just wanted to start by saying that it was great to be at the Hamptons Film Festival. I'm 81 years of age and have almost a billion citizens. I've been in office 62 years, making me the longest-serving monarch in history. What's just come out, which everyone's talking about, is Victoria and Abdul, and we went and saw that today. Not as part of the festival, but it's out with major distribution. So what say you? You know I'm a huge fan of Judy Dench, Dame Judy Dench. I think lot, she I saw her wrong. teeth a lot in this. Like there, there were, were close-ups of her teeth that I think she should like talk to people about that and say, do you need to do that? Is that necessary? They were method teeth. I mean, she was playing Queen Victoria for the second time. Yes, she was. So when I with saw missing the, teeth, I might add. With missing teeth. When I saw the trailer, I thought, you know, I've seen this film before. <laughs> it was Mrs. Brown, for which she should have won the Oscar. And this is Brown, you've got a lovely daughter. But it is based... But it's... <laughs> she doesn't love me now. Go ahead. And like Mrs. Brown, it's based on a real story and based on the book by Shrabani Basu. And in real life, Queen Victoria, when she used to stay at her castle in Scotland, Abdul, this particular servant who she had brought over from India... He actually slept in the room she had given to Mr. Brown. 
So even in real life, it's almost as though the storyline repeated itself in some way. Well, they did. It did. But she actually, many parts of the story are true as it unfolds on the screen. But the reason she met him well, as is... As far be- as we know. Well, I just looked, I, I did some homework around well, it. I think there's quite a few things that only Queen Victoria and Abdul really Well, that's really probably true. Well, actually, they doors. did go to his personal diaries. So he did state along the way what happened. So we know what he says happened. That doesn't right. mean we know what happened. We don't know if he's really a reliable narrator. Well, we don't know. But it was more than 10 years. Mm-hmm. Here's what's amazing, is they were so good, the entire royal family was so good at wiping him off the face of the earth, mm-hmm. the minute she died, they, it's true that they went in and they burned everything, she had gifted him a home, they took the home away from him and put him on a boat back to India. Okay, so for a hundred years, it just lay dormant, mm-hmm. and then somebody who was doing a biography on her went to visit the house and saw some portraits of him on the wall, which they hadn't gotten rid of. And then started to research it and then was able... It took five years to come up with what had actually happened. So it, it's true that they were able to wipe out an entire 10-year period of her closest confidant of all time. Well, see, life before social media, <laughs> where things go viral. Abdul has risen on his own merits. Now he is my friend. Well, what does that say about somebody that this woman... You know, your mother dies, and the first thing you do is burn every letter she wrote. I mean, it's the cruelty of the royal family as things start to come out is shocking to me. I just don't understand how you can pretend no other species would behave this way. What is wrong with us? Well, Queen Victoria, it stated in the movie, she was fearful for his life. She said, look, you've got to go back. I'm about to die and I can't protect you. Also, there is one point in the movie when she finds out that he's married and she asks him to bring his wife there. I don't want to go into it more than that because it's a plot point and we don't want to spoil it. But in truth, he wanted to go back to his wife. And so she brought the wife there to be with them because she didn't want to lose him. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the one of the few things that are not necessarily right on target with it. But it's a little slow. Do you think it could have been shorter? Yes, and I think the tone is a little uneven. Interesting. So when yeah. I first started watching the film, I thought, you know what, maybe I could just sit back and enjoy it for what it is, although it is putting a pretty sunny face on imperialism. And then, this is the thought that occurred to me. Have you ever done one of those screenings out in Vegas, for example, where they pull the audience and they try to fix a movie before they release it? Oh, right, right, right. No, No, I've never actually been to one, but yeah. It's fun. They give you one of those little joysticks, Mm -hmm. and then you're supposed to rate it as you're watching the movie and give a scene a certain rating. You know, if you like it or if you don't, you, you turn the knob. And I realized that if you tracked how I felt about the movie, it was completely tracking with the character of Mohammed. You are a servant no longer. You will teach me Urdu and the Quran. You've upset the order of everything. So I'm not sure I recall this from the trailer, but in real life as well, it's not just Abdul who was brought over to England. Mohammed comes with him as well. So at the beginning of the movie, I thought he is a great snarky <laughs> little comic. He was sidekick. a sidekick. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. It was. It, it brought humor to the. It definitely, definitely it was worked. So much humor, and I yep. kept looking at that mm-hmm. actor, going, "Where have we seen him before?" And then I realized we just saw him in The Big Sick. You told me that on the way home. It was mm-hmm. so funny because I'm like, "Where have we seen him?" And I knew it would come to her eventually, and of course it did. You know, so the beginning of the movie, you got the snarky comic sidekick. 
And then it takes this dark turn. And when Mohammed gets ill, it's where I felt the the plot of the movie was kind of going off the rails. Really? They That's went off the thought? rails with Mohammed. Huh. Who wasn't long for the movie after that. Well, one of the things I liked about Mohammed is in the end, he told it like it is. And I'm somebody who likes that also. So there were points when it was sort of like you go in a number of places, you know. It's a sad tale. It's a sad story. And... You know, everybody always thinks somebody, you know, to be Queen Victoria would be a lucky, lucky break. I think it does show that it's a very lonely life to be a royal that way. No one really knows what it's like to be queen. Mother! Are you spying on me? Everyone I've loved that has died, and I just go on and on. What is the point? Solace, Your Majesty. And this is a recurring theme we keep seeing in The Crown and other such productions coming out of England is this line where Judy Dench says in the movie, we're all prisoners. <laughs> yeah, we are in some way or other. You know, another movie it reminded me of that we did a podcast of. What? Florence Foster Jenkins. She's remarkable, isn't she? She can't be a little flat. Flat? <laughs> Just a tad. You know how they portrayed Queen Victoria as someone who loved kind of subpar entertainment. They have the Scottish man come in who's doing the Highland dance and Queen Victoria's the only one who says, encore, encore, keep dancing. You say nothing of when she's singing, not so pretty. The Italian singer yeah. who comes in and then they ask no, her No, when she sing. sings and she thinks she's okay and really everybody else knows she's not. You're right, there and was again, definitely a sense of that. It almost seemed like, what is the tone supposed to be? Are they going for farce? Because if it's farce, then maybe I can swallow the imperialism a little easier. But guess who directed Florence Foster Jenkins? Same person? The Meryl Streep version, same person, Stephen oh, Frears. You know, you can see it. You absolutely yeah. can. You can definitely, definitely and see it. And he also directed High Fidelity, The Queen with Helen Mirren, and Philomena, huh. starring Judy Dench. I think she's going to get a nod for this one. You do? Yeah, I do. I think, I think there's, there's things we haven't seen in her before in this one. I think there are facial expressions. When she looks at him adoringly after he's performed the, sh the sultan of something, <laughs> which was equally awful, um, I, I think she dug deep. I think that she went places she had. I haven't seen her before. So I, I thought she was really, really good. Now, I also asked her on the way home, because there are times when they're dressing or whatever, and she is clearly grotesquely obese. And I thought I said that's not her. And you said that you saw, of course, because we stayed till the very bitter end of, of watching everybody who's ever had any affiliation with the film whatsoever. Um, you said there was a stand-in for her. There was a stand-in, but I'm not sure that was the stand-ins. What do you mean? Body that you were seeing. I think that could have been Judy Dench. Huh. And I am still traumatized from some of those scenes, like the bathtub scene and Notes from a Scandal. With Judy Dench and Kate Blanchett, she's such a powerful actor, a very regal presence. And that one monologue in particular that she gave <sighs> when they threatened to declare her insane was very powerful. Oh. I am contemptuous, greedy, fat. I am perhaps disagreeably attached to power, but I am anything but insane. I think she's entitled to be looked at yet again. So Now also, when the filming began in September of 2016, interesting, Judy Dench was one month older than the age the Queen Victoria was when she died. Oh. So, it, you know, it, 
she's up there. She's getting up there. <laughs> you know, just like Jane Fonda Camp. I know. You know, playing younger than I they know, are in real I know. life. Now, also, should you happen to be in England, uh, the costumes from the film Victoria and Abdul are now on display at the Indian Dubar Room at the Osborne House on the Isle of Wight until the 30th of September, 2017. So too bad it's gone. Do you know if this is already opened in India? I don't know. I wonder how it's going to play there. I don't know. I wonder if it will open. I did love the shoes. And I loved the title credits, the opening ones, where they had Victoria and Abdul in English, and then they superimposed on it Urdu. I thought that was a really nice touch. And it's well, such well, a, you know, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> it's but a, yes, it was. Yeah. It's such a beautiful language. Okay, did you see any of the goofs? Hmm. I'm going to go with no, because nothing quickly comes okay. to mind. Did I miss and a helicopter actually, flying Actually, I looked door? at a bunch. Yeah. Victoria um, introduces, uh, she's introducing the family to the Kerma family in their cottage, and the queen introduces the granddaughter Sophie as the queen of Greece. But Sophie did not become queen of Greece until 1913, so she wasn't the queen yet. When... I love that people do this fact-checking. I love it. Here I was admiring Abdul's shoes. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you stick with the shoes, I'll stick with the data. A little surprise. What is it? A mango, Your Majesty. It's off. Sir Henry, this mango is off. An interesting story. It's a very interesting story. Yeah. The real-life story seems more interesting than the screenplay could pull off. Probably. Absolutely. Okay, so I recommend it highly. What about you? I don't know that I do. Huh. It was a little long-winded. It was. I recommend maybe the first half. How do you like your Scottish costumes? They're very scratchy. Everything in Scotland is scratchy. There was something about it that I felt was a little uncomfortable watching an entire palace full of people and their take on the Indian family. Once Mohammed went missing, I missed his point of view. I, hmm. I thought that really had to be represented. Well, also, you know, he doesn't speak. He's in a lot of scenes where he doesn't speak at all. But you can see his point of view by the way he's watching the scene unfold. Mm -hmm. And you can miss it if you don't take a moment to watch him in the scene because people are speaking. We tend to look at who's speaking. But I watched him a couple of times and it, it, he's, he was very good. And unless Abdul was really trying to position himself, which there's a great line that Judy Dench says about that, unless he was really trying to manipulate his popularity with the queen, his was just such idol worship yeah. That I thought Mohammed was the more interesting character. I missed him. Okay, I didn't know yeah. Mohammed was so important to you. I really liked Mohammed. And back then I heard that the members of the court, they would never have talked, they would never have deigned to speak to anyone from India who was anything beneath a prince, the level of prince. But the rancor that they had for this family, you know, again, it was like reliving the Mr. Brown story. Mrs. Brown. <laughs> I have to say, it's just... I watched it and left, and a number of times during the film, I actually turned to you and said, is this true? <laughs> it's so abominable that you just don't believe it could be true. And there it is, truth, right in front of us. It was, it, it was, and yet, it was violently upsetting inside to me that human beings could treat someone that way. Now, here she is dying, and no one will speak to him when she loved him so much. I couldn't believe there wasn't an ounce of compassion for this man who had meant so much to her and had given up a lot to be with her, too. And yet, I did wonder what happened between Queen Victoria and all nine of her children, because she says point blank in the film that her children are all useless. Well, and I read an article when I was looking, when we were, you know, to talk about this film, and it said that 
both her family, her children, and her subjects and her court were distanced from her. She had they had no closeness to her. So, you know, she refers to her her children derogatorily in this film, but in truth, they never had exposure to her in any sort of intimate way. So they didn't know her. And Bernie never comes off well. You know, may he rest mm-hmm. in semi peace. Do you think Queen Elizabeth seen the movie? Absolutely not, but I think people around her are and are making sure she doesn't. Do you think she's too busy fact-checking the second <laughs> season of The Crown? I don't know how those people live with themselves, with the oh. secrets and the... Uh, you know, I, it's very hard. Um, which leads us to our list of six. A winner is... Julie Andrews... Lovely. Uh, I know you Americans are famous for your hospitality, but this is really ridiculous. <laughs> okay, so we are still at the Hampton International Film Festival, 25th year anniversary. Diane Barrett is with us, who brought us to River Run Film Festival, so we're glad you're here. Ms. O'Toole went to see Julie Andrews. I go to the hills. <laughs> When my heart is lonely. Don't you want a real singer to sing that? <laughs> I know. I, okay, I don't know why you went to see her we because have, she's irritating. We have a real singer with us, Diane. Okay. Okay. Singers are alive. See, okay. <laughs> see, it's remarkable you two went to the same I know, school. It is. We I went to high school together. Yes, year. and we hadn't seen each other in 45 years. And reconnected over film and books. It's, we did, wow. yeah. And we're so grateful you're here, truly. I'm so grateful to be here. And so, Diane was actually a member of a touring group, right? Right. All right. Called, called the Jills. And, and by Jills the way, I don't know why they didn't ask me to sing it. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Okay, moving right along. Julie yes. Andrews, okay, you have some things you want to share, I right? No, they honored her with a special Lifetime Achievement Award. And they Does started, that mean your life is over when you get those awards? No, but I mean, she is, she's accomplished so much. She looked fantastic, by the way. She's 83, and after talking about Jane Fonda last week, thinking these actors are going to be It's not shame. fair to say they look so great when they've had so much work done that they don't even hear. Andrews had work done? Oh, please. What are the things you want us to hear about you? Yes, of course she's had work done. Uh, they started the special presentation with a screen of Victor Victoria, which I had never seen. Wow. So yeah. this Lifetime Achievement Award, it was co-presented by the Academy, as in the Oscars. They had their New York rep there. <clears throat> he introduced the film, and he said, you know, this was nominated for seven Oscars including Best Actress for Julie Andrews. He said the year was 1982, but the Oscar actually went to the world's worst actress. And there was a gasp in the audience. And people were trying to guess who was it in 1982. Wait, let, let's see. Do you have a guess, Diane? I don't. I um, don't. 82. Yep. And she was up for Victor Victoria uh-huh. against the world's worst... Oh. Um, was it Tootsie? You know, were, are you thinking Terry Garr? Yeah. Yeah, no, it was Meryl Streep. He was joking. <laughs> oh. She won that year for Sophie's Choice. Okay. You had suggested, and I totally took you up on it, Hollister, that instead of doing our list of six, right. this week you would just give me all six, since I've been cheating lately anyway. I thought it was a really good idea, because if not, you were going to give us ten, and I thought I can't bear ten <laughs> things about Julie Andrews, so I thought, maybe I can get her down to six by making it a list of six. <laughs> okay, and see, Diane, you can vouch for me. I, I, I enumerated them, so there's really only six. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Go for it. All right, so 
Julie Andrews was married to Blake Edwards, the director. They were married up until his death. He directed Breakfast at Tiffany's, the Pink Panther movies. I didn't know this. Henry Mancini scored all of Blake Edwards' movies except for two. But Henry Mancini's widow was also at the presentation. She's still friends with Julie Andrews. Oh, baby, will you play me the jazz hop? Maybe and He is the one that composed the Pink Panther theme. Oh, yeah, Henry Mancini. So, are you gonna play a little bit of it here? We'll um, have to play a little bit of it. Yeah. By the way, the Pink Panther theme. Everybody in school that I recall when that was going on, you know, you do these freeform dances. By the way, we looked awful. But in fact, it's because you're here. Do you remember that? And the Pink Panther theme was the theme for all these sort of, you know, fancy dances that were taking place in high school for dance recital in high school? No? Okay. She was too busy singing, but go ahead. <laughs> okay, so they took a lot of questions from the audience, and someone asked if she had any regrets or roles that she never really got to play. or And she said that something that left her with a little twinge is that she never got to memorialize Liza Doolittle in My Fair Lady mm. because she originated the Great role on role. Broadway. But... Back then, nobody recorded Broadway shows. So she said there's no recording of her Broadway performance, and Audrey Hepburn, of course, did the Hollywood version. It's very hard to be frustrated and upset when Mr. Disney comes along and says, would you like to do Mary Poppins? And, 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 uh, so it's very much, I wasn't angry, believe me, it was like, holy cow, how lucky can a girl get? You know? the, the, uh, we could do we couldn't memorialize it, you and I. We could do the animated version. We could do my face. You and I could do my face. Well, I know you'd be a perfect idiot. And then custom to our face. <laughs> but Julie Andrews, and this is the thing I didn't know, she just directed her own stage version in Australia. And it's starring one of the actors from The Crown. So, yeah, she said she loves directing theater. She wouldn't direct movies, but she loves directing theater. Okay, okay. and we got two down, right? That's two down, so okay. number three, it's a short one. She worked with Alfred Hitchcock, mm. and it was in a movie. Paul Newman was her co-star. Can you guys name it? Alfred Hitchcock, Paul Newman. From 1966. We probably went together if we saw it, Diane. 66. Eh. <laughs> I don't have no idea. What uh -huh. is it? Torn Curtain. Oh, I didn't see it. I have no idea what that film is. Do don't you? remember that. No, me neither. I haven't seen Okay, number four. <laughs> Moving right along. Moving right along. Julie Andrews has written 30 children's books. Yeah, I knew that. That's With her daughter, actually. With her daughter. Yeah. That's right. Okay, number five. She currently has a show on Netflix. It's for children called Julie's Green Room. Have hmm. you seen it? No. I'm not a child. And me neither. <laughs> I'm such a grown-up. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, number six, the last one. I try to picture you in bed at night on what you're streaming on your computer. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> you now, but it's not bed. Yeah, let me, let me rephrase it. You're in bed now. Yes. And you got your computer, whatever your device is. What are you streaming? What do you watch? Like sometimes I'll see, like, does Julie Andrews watch Breaking Bad? Does she like a good drug, crime drama? <laughs> and guess what was the first TV show she mentioned? Um, no, I have to save this for last. Okay, it, well, can we ask three questions? It's something I have in common with Julie Andrews, and we clearly know that's not oh, my sensibility. Oh, has to be the good way. She started with some British shows. Oh, mm -hmm. um, Broadchurch? No, but that's a very good guess. We have no idea. Luther. Oh, of course. How many films have you made, by the way? Uh, I've made three films and 70 just disasters. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so that was our list of six, and over and out from the Hamptons International Film Festival.